I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out at a wardrobe door But I, I'm still seeking Tom Welcome to another chipper episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we slap ourselves in the face with a tome of children's or young adult fiction and try to make sense of it. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by the pontificating Patrick Moon. Have you heard the good news? Hello. <laughs> the brilliant Bree. Hello. And the keen Keith Rowe. Hey. We alternate between the curious novelties of contemporary non-adult fiction, and by contemporary we mean anything written post-Potter, and the classics, and by classic we mean anything pre-Potter, ranging in quality from the enchanted wood to anything that's not Shrek-like. This episode we brain ourselves delirious against the 2006 novel titled The Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. Before we forcefully shove the red pill down your throat and introduce you to madness... A warning. Warning. This podcast will contain spoilers. In this episode, we will review a psychological horror slash thriller come mythological fairy tale that is set during World War II. Really. So if you haven't read John Connolly's The Book of Lost Things, may we suggest purchasing a copy from your local bookstore or your local cloud provider and joining us on this dark journey. And here is... Laurie, for a chapter one, page one, reading of the Book of Lost Things. Chapter one, Down the Rabbit Hole. Alice was beginning to get very tired of sitting by her sister on the bank and of having nothing to do. Once or twice she had peeped into the book her sister was reading, but it had no pictures or conversations in it. And what is the use of a book, thought Alice, without pictures or conversation? Good... Good reading of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, <laughs> so, sorry, my mistake. Uh, which, all oh, right, okay, let me start again. Chapter one. No. <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I don't know about that, but carry on. Chapter one of All That Was Found and All That Was Lost. Once upon a time, for that is how all stories should begin, there was a boy who lost his mother. He had, in truth, been losing her for a very long time. The disease that was killing her was a creeping, cowardly thing, a sickness that ate away at her from the inside, slowly consuming the light within so that her eyes grew a little less bright with each passing day, and her skin a little more pale. And as she was stolen away from him, piece by piece, the boy became more and more afraid of finally losing her entirely. He wanted her to stay... He had no brothers and no sisters, and whilst he loved his father, it would be true to say that he loved his mother more. He could not bear to think of a life without her. The boy, whose name was David, did everything he could to keep his mother alive. He prayed. He tried to be good so that she would not be punished for his mistakes. He padded around the house as quietly as he was able, and kept his voice down when he was playing war games with his toy soldiers. He created a routine, and he tried to keep to that routine as closely as possible, because he believed in part that his mother's fate 
was linked to the actions he performed. He would always get out of bed by putting his left foot on the floor first, then his right. He always counted up to 20 when he was brushing his teeth, and he always stopped when a count was completed. He always touched the taps in the bathroom and the handles of the doors a certain number of times. Odd numbers were bad, but even numbers were fine, with 2, 4 and 8 being particularly favourable. Although he didn't care for 6, because 6 was twice 3, and 3 was the second part of 13. And 13 was very bad indeed. If he bumped his head against something, he would bump it a second time to keep the numbers even. And sometimes he would have to do it again and again, because his head seemed to bounce against the wall, ruining his count, or his hair glanced against it when he didn't want it to, until his skull ached from the effort and he felt giddy and sick. For an entire year, during the worst of his mother's illness, he carried the same items from his bedroom to the kitchen first thing in the morning, and then back again last thing at night. A small copy of Grimm's Selected Fairy Tales and a dog-eared magnet comic. The book to be placed perfectly in the centre of the comic, and both to be laid with their edges lined up against the corner of the rug in his bedroom floor at night, or on the seat of his favourite chair in the morning. In these ways, David made his contribution to his mother's survival. We're a touch over page one there, but I thought it best that we get to the part that mentioned Grimm's fairy tales because it <laughs> leads so far on. It does feature very heavily. Mm, it <laughs> yes, does. Indeed. So, yeah, I'll jump in with my thoughts about that. Uh, when I read this, or when I listened to this, let's pretend, uh, I had absolutely no preconceptions about this book. I didn't know what genre of book it was. I didn't know much about it. I didn't know anything about it. So it was... <laughs> you <laughs> must have been really surprised. <laughs> well, at, at this stage, I was still very intrigued as to as to what this book would hold. And there wasn't a lot of clues there as to the direction this book would eventually go. But I guess the biggest clue there is, as you said, the Grimm's fairy tales. But yeah, I wanted to read more to find out what this book was about. Patrick? Uh, yeah, I, I think the same thing. I... I was intrigued by it when I first read it uh, some years ago, and I, it still held my interest on this second go around. I, I like I like the beginning. I really like John Connolly's writing style, and he could write an instruction manual for a kitchen master, as far as I'm concerned, and I would probably <laughs> be pulled into it. Uh, so maybe I'm the wrong person to give an opinion, but I'm I'm sold immediately about two sentences in, and I like it. That's a little bit off kilter. I like I like the throwback to. Uh, once upon a time, I, I like that he's already sort of integrating some of those tropes and, and setting the scene for his contemporary sort of take to an extent on the fairy tale. What about you, Brie? Contemporary from the 40s. I'm much like Keith and yourself, Patrick, um, but probably my thought process went, rah! Patrick chose a story that is a drama and not a fantasy. It's a miracle. And that euphoria <laughs> lasted approximately six chapters. So, uh, But I do want to understand what's going on in David's mind. And I guess at this point I'm interested in the journey that he's going to go on to get well again or to find some peace. I don't Sorry? think my fantasy uh, sort of biases perhaps are quite as strong as Laurie's. Mate, I, I want to defend myself there. <laughs> Let me just have a look at the list of <laughs> oh, yeah. books that yeah. we've... Maybe you just don't know it as much as Laurie does. <laughs> yes, which, which autobiography did you select, Patrick? Oh, all right. Hoity-toity. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it, Laurie? Well, 
I'm attracted to delirium and disorders and dire circumstance to a certain degree, so I was intrigued. I guess it was adequate forewarning for me that this was not going to be a cute tale about fluffy bunnies with names like Kedrick Puffy Boots or Sammy Thistlebobbins. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to prepare myself for a dark journey. So with adversity and madness on the horizon, I strapped myself in and read on eagerly. Yes, pretty keen at this point. So for the people that have read it and have forgotten, or for those that aren't going to read it but would like to know what happened, what did happen, Patrick? Well, uh, the Book of Lost Things is a bit of an oddity, I think. It's not quite like John Connolly's children's books in which Samuel Johnson battles Satan. Uh, it's not quite like his new young adult pitch sci-fi collaboration, The Chronicles of the Invaders, which I haven't read, full disclosure. And it, it's not really like his uh, most famous and defining series, I suppose, the brilliant detective-come-supernatural thrillers of the Charlie Parker universe. I think it might be a sort of combination of all of those things put together. Uh, the Book of Lost Things tells the tale of David, a boy who is beginning to recognise that of which we at Seeking Tumnus are already very cognisant, that books want to be read. But as David's uh, mother's health fails and she begins to die, he begins to also to succumb to fits. Books begin to whisper and their susurrations contain more than a hint of madness. David's home life is torn apart when his mother dies, his father moves on, a new child arrives, uh, and all as the blitz rains chaos upon London. So David resents those changes, the new members of his family, and the whispers begin to increase, and a, a strange, crooked man begins to appear in his visions and in his house. The story, I think, really begins when David follows his dead mother's voice through a gap in the garden wall with a burning German plane close behind. He finds himself in a land of fairy tales where the books he has read have taken form. There's so much stuff to kind of cram in after this point. He's befriended by the woodsman, pursued by wolves and half-wolves or loops or loos or however we're going to, to say the word, accosted by trolls and harpies, treated to dinner with Snow White and her communistic seven dwarves, and taken under the wing of Roland, who's a knight searching for his lost love in a dark tower. All the while, David's hoping to find the king of the strange kingdom who is said to possess a book of secret knowledge, a book of lost things that might restore David to his home and bring about his mother's return. Meanwhile, the crooked man is hatching his schemes, assuring David that he can have everything he wants if only he would surrender the name of his half-brother who he has come to revile so much. Uh, that sort of takes us to the, the culmination of, of the novel. I, I think that's probably a hopefully a fairly comprehensive synopsis what do you guys think yeah absolutely just probably you glanced over the crooked man the crooked man is this figure that i think he lured him into the world in the first place didn't he mm. yeah and and then proceeded to sort of assist him get to to the castle where the king is waiting for him but by assist him, he, he, he's doing very bloody and gruesome acts and he seems to be a very evil creature. There's sort of an element of the Crooked Man helping but for his own purposes throughout yeah, the, that's right. the novel. Absolutely. He's yeah. the puppet master in the world and uh, David is, is his unwilling puppet. And supposedly in our world as well. I mean, he sort of enters our imagination through dreams and understands our darkest desires and fears and uses them to his advantage. Yeah. Given the sort of fairy tale parallels, he's the the Rumpelstiltskin of the the mm. tale, the trickster. Mm. Mm. 
but yes, aside from that, that's a that's a very good wrap up, I'd say. Mm. Why did you choose it, Patrick? This is your selection. Uh, I chose it because I I really really like it. It's one of my favorite books, or it has been one of my favorite books, uh, and from when I was younger too. It, it came out at the sort of end of my teenage years. I was in the the last gasps of teenagehood when I uh, read this book and it just gripped me at that time I, I really liked it it, it really uh, spoke to me and it was something a bit different to a lot of the other things that I had read around that time especially a lot of the, the fantasy I think uh, Connolly really tries to throw back to what made the fairy tales so compelling back in the day and that they were to a large extent I think cautionary they were they were violent and they were dark and the message was not so much about relatability or about being I don't know enjoyable or entertaining for young people so much as having a dark heart that tried to expose the you know the darkness at the the core of the world and at the core of people and having the fairy tale heroes you know, battling against that, oftentimes not always succeeding. Sometimes they did. You know, just just having a bit of a moral that wasn't quite in line with what we've become accustomed to in contemporary fiction, I think. Mm. And so it was nice to see uh, Connolly have a crack at bringing that around, bringing it into a modern era, writing a, a 2006 era book. Not the setting, of course, but the, the actual writing thereof. And trying to bring some of those dark elements into into play, I, I really like that, and I wanted to to revisit it. I'll be interested to hear what you actually thought of it because you did say it has been my one of my favourite books. So, hoping yeah. you'll elaborate at some point. I shall. What did uh, you guys think of it, Keith? Do we want to sort of cover off firstly the age appropriateness of this book? That's a good idea. <laughs> Bree, maybe you want to take the lead on this one. Patrick alluded to he first read this book as a late teen coming into his 20s and I think that's probably about right for this. This is not an enchanted wood. This is not a <laughs> ranger's, <laughs> this is not a rich it, ranger's apprentice. There is an enchanted wood but it's uh, <laughs> very different. Uh, uh, it is a very different thing and it does conjure up some fairly – strong violent images yeah i agree it's strange though because the story arc itself it's it's it seems to follow quite closely the the coming of age structure Mm. setting aside the fantastical elements but it does aside from those it, it does get very gruesome it's more the loss of innocence from an adult perspective in some ways than the moving into manhood i felt yeah, I think that's that's quite accurate, really, to some extent. I think there there are elements of, of both towards the end, but it definitely is a, a, a loss of innocence kind of tale as that first page set out there. Yes. I think definitely where uh, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about before, you could happily throw in in the, like the pre-teen kind of bracket as well. This one would be uh, not before that stage, I don't think. It's pretty full on. And I don't think it's really written as young adult fiction so much as it's something that I think has young adult appeal and it's written with young adult, I guess, narrative structure and, and language and that sort of thing in place. But it's it's also an adult book. It's kind of a mix of 
of the uh, the two worlds. I think that's the point. It's about having that right level of maturity. You might have, you know, people that are reading adult books at a young age, but you're not. I mean, this is certainly far beyond what I would have enjoyed at that sort of age. I think. Laurie, you're awfully quiet there. Have you got any thoughts on the matter? Well, I, I tend in the other direction. I am a little bit more liberal and probably a bit more, um, I don't know, irreverent maybe. I, I think these kind of books are really important because it might be the first book that a young adult reads and maybe by a young adult I might mean 16 or 17 or maybe 18, that these books are a gateway through to more adult themes I guess there, there was there was a lot of material in this book that was very confronting and even as an adult some of it, some of the concepts were confronting but I think these kind of books that sit on the edge between adolescent and adult are important for they're important for allowing children to become adult readers broadening their just, reading horizons well it's not just their horizons but if you stick with books that are purely aimed at a, a young adult market, perhaps they're not quite covering themes as dark as this. I, I think that if you're a 16-year-old that's both mature and appreciate darker themes, and that doesn't mean you're a psychopath or a sociopath or, or whatever, but if you are, you just like a bit of darkness towards you in within your stories, then I think this is exactly the kind of book that lets you move to the next scale of, of, of reading. Do you, do you agree with that concept? Maybe not this book, but that there are some books that allow you to move on from reading I agree with that. Probably a bit light. I agree with that. And, I mean, the one that comes to mind is that I think we've discussed this before is, is it Bryce Courtney's Tandia? Something like that. <laughs> I, I would say that's, that's worse. Well, in some ways, but again, it's got those sort of mature themes that you're talking about. And if you read mm. The Power of One, you know, it's almost that introduction. And it does have some incredibly violent things that happen to this girl in the book. And to me, that's another one. And I read that when I was 13 or 14. So I understand where you're going with that. This one for me, whew, I, would hope, I would hope that you've actually read the true history of Grimm's fairy tales before you've actually picked this one up so that you're not in for a massive surprise. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned The Power of One because that's exactly the kind of book that I was talking about. Once I'd read The Power of One, I, I recall fairly distinctly feeling more adult. Mm. It's the kind of thing that just subtly changes you and, yes, it's the loss of innocence, which we might talk about as the theme of the book a bit later and Patrick's already mentioned but it's exactly that kind of book that elevates you a little, even if it's confronting and, and dark at times. I felt a little bit naughty reading Tandia, I've got to admit. I wouldn't have admitted to that to my parents, all the sorts of things that were going on in that book necessarily. Hi, Mum. So I guess in summary, for age appropriateness, for me, 16 plus, so long as you're mature and appreciate darker books and probably want to move to the next level of, of And reading. have read The Power of One and Tandia already. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it, Laurie? I've managed to avoid going first in the review for a very long time and I'm reluctant to start with this book because I like to talk most about books that I've had issues with that I've not enjoyed very much and I enjoyed this one quite a bit so I'll keep it kind of brief. 
while the themes of the book are buried in very shallow graves and they're pretty easy to sniff out, there's still reasonably solid substance to them. I thought the journey or the break from reality that David takes, and it's not so much of a coming of age to me so much as it is a pilgrimage from selfish childhood to a more sympathetic adulthood. And I was really on board with the journey itself. I really love the motif of the of the fairy tale world that he inhabits and a dark fairy tale world. Even though I feel it could have maybe easily repelled me by the allegorical interjections, there were stories, uh, fairy tales that were interspersed, they were told by the characters in these worlds and they were, they were reworked fairy tales. And sometimes that kind of interjection, as you might know from one of our previous podcasts can sometimes be a bit distracting, but in this case, I was I was very entertained actually by them, and I understand that the critics don't favour this book so much as they favoured some of these other works that Patrick mentioned. But I was reminded almost instantly of Neil Gaiman, and that's no mean feat as far as I'm concerned. I'm quite a fan of Neil Gaiman, and I really enjoy his mature take on fairy tales, and I've mentioned that more than once, I'm sure. And to be reminded of his style and the strong echoes of quality, I was pretty impressed. Was it derivative? Completely. <laughs> I felt that it was Alice, both Carol and perhaps American McGee, if you're a computer game fiend. Uh, it had Labyrinth in there, The NeverEnding Story, uh, maybe The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe to a degree, and any number of obviously Grimm's fairy tales, all thrown into a cauldron. But the brew that resulted, though bitter did contain magic. I very much enjoyed it. It's not the kind of book that I think all people would enjoy, but it tickled all the right spots for me. I can't say it's the kind of book that will haunt me for the rest of my days or that's on my 15-year list. That's where I read the book again 15 years later. So I've forgotten some of it. But You know you're getting old it. when you have a 15-year list. <laughs> <laughs> but those books are few and far between anyway, and it was a pretty solid stopover. Uh, on the quest for the next classic. So, yeah, I was really, really happy that you picked this one out, Pat. Good job. Brilliant. What about you, Bree? I'm torn on this one. Are you all out of faith? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm torn on this one. I'm, I mentioned earlier I was completely enthralled by those first six chapters. I think that uh, in terms of covering off the grief that David is experiencing at the loss of his mother and the shock of finding his father has moved on or found solace with another, which has resulted in the birth of his half-brother, which is completely realistic. And hearing the books talking to him, I just love that exploration of where that was going. So for me, I never really questioned whether or not once he went through the sunken garden and into the fantasy world beyond, I never really questioned whether or not that was meant to be another world or if that was just in his mind. For me, that was just clear cut. It was absolutely in his mind. And I think that sort of spoiled it a little bit for me. There were enough clues given in those first six, cha six chapters which indicated where that was going. A descent into full madness. I guess it's not just his own um, creation because it is kind of this shared consciousness between these children that have been there before. Jonathan Tolby, mm. the king, being, being the primary one that's influencing the characters and the creatures in that world. 
Yes, but they did mention that Telvi was fearful of wolves or they mentioned the wolves there somewhere in those first six chapters. And so for me, that was the biggest, that was one of the tie-ins. The other one was the the quite humorous seven dwarves who, or six dwarves and the baker. David, as a 12-year-old, didn't quite grasp the concepts of communism. So he was repeating these phrases back willy-nilly, not making much sense of them. So to me, that was another clue, I suppose. So I guess that just spoiled it a little bit for me. And I struggled with the very, very dark nature and the gore and the slicing off of children's heads and sewing them to animal bodies and then the slicing off the animal heads and sewing them to children's bodies and... Ah, ah. <laughs> like, that did have a nice dramatic culmination, though. <sighs> it was a just gory a- one. Yeah, a very gory. <laughs> <laughs> but we could have done without that chapter as well. I think it was just one chapter. The horror. I just I can't get off the horror. But I still think that it was much more successful in turning these fairy tales into a more urban and modern setting than the darkest part of the forest. So uh, using the essence of Grimm's true true fairy tales which were for adults and turning it into a much more modern twist with elements of David's own psyche weaved through it I thought that was really well executed and I quite liked the culmination I quite liked that uh, this hellish place in some ways became a more peaceful place for David to lay to rest when he was an old man. So I want to just jump in there, Bree. When you mentioned the word horror, it occurred to me that, having gotten to know you a little over the course of this podcast, that you don't deal with horror well in general. At all. So that would have heavily affected your reading of the book. Like It really you, you did. Don't... I really had to force myself to read some sections of it. And I didn't abhor this. I didn't. I would rather read about it than see it on a movie. I think if it was a movie, it would be either the kind that you would not want to watch. Perhaps. I would never go. <laughs> right. Or if you were encouraged to watch it by somebody else, that you would be covering your eyes for Like, you're that kind of person. You're God, I cover, I cover my eyes if it's not a Huggies commercial. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I think I, I never really sort of saw the horror elements so much in this one, but it's definitely Connolly's pedigree because the, the Charlie Parker novels are a sort of horror-based crime fiction, supernatural horror. And so I think he's toned it down a little bit in in this one, but it's definitely where he comes from and it's something that he excels at. Like When I read those books as a teenager, it was the kind of stuff where it would keep me up at night sort of worrying about what that noise was in the house, that sort of thing. It was that, that really visceral kind of scary stuff, which I really quite enjoy. So I, I could definitely see where you're coming there. I finished this last night at midnight and I kid you not, I was sitting under the covers wishing I could put my ebook in the freezer. It was that kind of... <laughs> really? <laughs> Why the freezer in particular? <laughs> because there it's protected and it'll probably die. The stories will die and they will at least go quiet. The whispers in my head will stop. All right, so if you're a sensitive child... <laughs> 
I was actually intrigued to read more of Connolly because of this, Patrick. So thank you for introducing me to some of these. I might start with some of his children's books, but I will read them in daylight in and probably surrounded by people, maybe on the train or something See, like that. See, I, I didn't like the children's books as much because the, the themes aren't quite as hard-hitting. What did you think of it, Keith? Um, I'll have to say, firstly, when I was reading the book, I was reading the Kindle edition and I was misled by the percentage remaining. So as I was reading, I was getting to that sort of high 60% mark and it was you know, seeming as though the story was wrapping up, but being that there was 30% remaining, I thought, well, this is going to have to take a strange twist to populate the rest of this book. And then it ended. And I wasn't expecting it to end. So it did sort of taint my reading a little bit, particularly the ending, which was even without those expectations was quite abrupt. So that's kind of tainted my reading a little bit, but I love the world. I love the world that was created. Uh, I didn't enjoy so much the connection from the real world to this world and then the link back at the end it's it was a bit it was all a dream but it didn't matter so much because the world was really intense and really well described and the writing was quite excellent I had to read this in quite a short period of time but I didn't have any trouble doing that because I was enjoying it and it was a bit of a page turner so I really enjoyed it ultimately Along the way, there was lots of things I liked and didn't like. One particular thing I liked was was the the ode or the tribute to the Robert Browning poem, Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came, which is (laughs) of particular interest to me because I'm reading the Dark Tower series. If you haven't heard our previous pods, you might not know that, but if you have, you certainly will. I really enjoyed the interesting twist that he gave to, to the classic fairy tales. You know, we had Snow White holding her hosts hostage to her every demand uh, because they tried to kill her previously and now they were un- uh, under the watch of the of the uh, empire. It was twisted in an enjoyable way. It was kind of like, once again, a classic of the Seeking Tumnus lore. It was kind of like <laughs> Roald Dahl on steroids um, for, for a more adult audience. And <laughs> it was um, was really enjoyable. The characters although a lot of them were stereotypical, I think they served their purpose in the story, in in David's journey. I didn't like David to begin with, and I guess as he encountered... Oh, no. Well... Sorry, I agree. He was very unlikable because... He was bratty. Yeah. He was was a prat. He he was extremely jealous of his new family and, you know, completely wrathful that his father had moved on. And that must be terrifying for anyone that is like a step-parent. That must be a terrifying situation. And he was like the absolute worst. So, yes, I agree. He wasn't very likeable. He took his anger out pretty mightily upon Rose, his father's new wife, ultimately. Mm. And it was was hard to really sympathise with him at times during those situations. But it, it, it struck a chord for me, I think, because it seemed like a dysfunctional family. Mm. It seemed like an accurate dysfunctional family being portrayed on the page. And that was... I, I, that was the brilliance I don't want to of use the, first the word six refreshing, chapters. But that was the best was, part. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, believable. It was. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, I think I didn't really realise as I was coming to like him through the story. It was kind of 
by the time it had ended, it was only then that I sort of reflected back and thought, oh, well, he's, you know, the, the negative aspects of his per- personality, his his intense selfishness to begin with, had he's learnt that these aren't the ways through through these uh, ever-present fairy tales and through his encounters. And uh, like I said, the ending wrapped up very quickly, but we saw we saw that he had changed completely from the boy we, we learnt about in the first few chapters. So it was it was really enjoyable for me. It was a page turner and I will probably go and check out these Charlie Parker books because they sound awesome because I also was a big fan of, you know, thrillers and crime and that sort of thing and and a melding of these worlds might be just the perfect thing for me. I do recommend them. For me? Not for you, Brie. <laughs> yeah. I, I recommend that you don't read them probably. <laughs> I didn't have any bad dreams after reading this. There's no Kindles in the freezer. It was gory and, and a little bit scary at the time, but it didn't leave any lasting. For someone who can get into Stephen King and those sorts of books with that, that kind of atmosphere, I suppose, not necessarily the, the content. The content is quite different, but that pervading atmosphere of tension, tension. horror mm. is is definitely a big part of Connolly's writing. And I think it, it does pervade in a kind of lesser way through the Book of Lost Things. It's sort of in a, in a way, like you were talking about, Laurie, almost the, the, the stepladder up to these more intense kind of reads. Can I just say, Keith, that if you didn't like the character in the beginning and he goes through all of these trials and, and meets with characters that help him grow and become a more functional adult, it's, it's really himself that is the champion in that case. If he's in a world of madness that he's created... Yeah. in his own mind, then really it's himself that has matured and the, both the escape from madness, like to some degree, I guess, and the maturity that occurs is all his own doing. Yeah, it's, I don't see it as entirely his own creation, which I, t- I touched on earlier, because it does have elements from other children that have gone into that world and there is this, uh, this crossover. So, so hang on, I, I need to clarify that. You don't believe that all of this is all he's imagining but in fact he does go through to a magical realm and well it is it is kind of open to interpretation much mm. like child Roland to the dark tower came whether the whether the journey is an imagined one or whether it is real it's uh, it's up to you as a reader to decide that i don't think john connolly even supposes that you will take one view over the other and, and it's very even when he returns to the what we'll call the normal world or what I'll call the normal world even when he returns there there is a bit of confusion over where his body was and the strange marks on his body and this sort of thing it's 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 a it's deliberately contentious and I like the idea that there is this alternative universe that he's entering that this trickster has been able to corrupt children from from our world into this and utilize their thoughts and their their worst nightmares if you like to to populate this world i like that idea so i don't necessarily buy into it just being his own internal creation oh i'm glad you said that because i think brie went the other direction i went completely the other direction Mm, but i felt there was just enough like yes i think it was very heavily weighted towards it being his own conjurings but there was just enough seed of doubt in there to yeah. Not con- convince me, but make me wonder. 
I felt like the entire thing you could stitch together from David's experiences or things that David may have overheard in other adult conversations or things that he had read in books. Um, I think a lot of it the Roland, the Roland and the Woodsman characters for me were his father. Yeah, that's right. There, there's like, several there father no figures throughout, and John yeah. Connolly sort of details that at the end as well after the book's conclusion. Mm. There, there was a lot of these father figures, so yeah, they they did play a role. So the the world as he was in it was definitely sort of a lot of his creations. But there's that there's a the journey that Roland himself is on to this dark tower where he confronts his own fears is that kind of imagined fears. It doesn't seem necessary to have that inside a broader world that was the same thing. So that's where I draw the distinction and think, okay, this world is something different to just his imagination. I felt more like that this part was more, that that particular element was just another ele- another part of David coming of age. Patrick? Yeah, I, I think similarly to you guys, I, I think there it is definitely strongly hinted that it is a creation of his mind but there's also the Connolly sort of undermines that a little bit too because he he has this idea of the world itself it's internally consistent within the world that it is populated by nightmares it is populated by your stories that you bring to the table so it's difficult to kind of extract the fiction from what is a fantastic world where that is internally consistent that these things are happening and i i think there is yeah just just enough doubt there at the end for it to to kind of make you question a little bit about well what what is this exactly what what are you talking about and then uh, David obviously returns as we've we've mentioned a few times at the end of the book he returns again uh, to the, the kingdom in his old age as he's dying he returns back here and I, the concluding line is something like every man dreams his own heaven and you, you sort of you sort of wonder well what what is it is it this elaborate kind of allegory or is it something a little different and I, I don't necessarily know that it that it it matters it's more about you know the, the journey itself and what happened with the growth that occurred through the journey and the difference in that that kingdom between his really troubled boyhood his where he's filled with anger he's filled with jealousy he just wants to lash out and his his world reflects that and then at, at the conclusion there it, it, it's a peaceful place he comes to recognize the the figure of his father in these positive archetypes and that his own wife and child will be waiting there to meet him and everything i think it 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 comes together in this really nice encapsulation of of growth and that angst being gone of being content with oneself and with one's position one's lot and one's life and i found that i actually find those that last summation as brief as is as it is and as um sort of difficult to see coming as it is, I suppose, if your Kindle is reporting uh, you're only seventy five percent of the way through the book. I found it I found it really moving. I found it really powerful. I I, I, th- I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. I think I've kind of segued here to to saying what I think about the book. So I I might just carry on doing that. I liked it again on the second go through. It's something that I've I've thought about periodically since I read it. And uh I liked it again. I wasn't really let down. 
I thought there were a few points where, where the tone was a little bit disjointed because by its nature, I think it is a little bit disconnected and disjointed. It is almost a, a retelling of sequential stories rather than one connected, intertwined sort of narrative. But I th- Well, he, he goes through other people's worlds, so kind of he's, you know, he goes into the Huntress's world and he's that's a distraction yeah. on his journey, but it's sort of her journey as well. And same with Roland, he, he gets caught up in his journey, which has an element yeah, of his own. Yeah, very much it. so. He sort of falls from story to story and they're all based on, you know, the various fairy tales and, and the like. We have a bit of Red Riding Hood, a bit of Rumpelstiltskin, a bit of Roland. But... Oh, yeah, ultimately, I really like it. And like you suggested, Keith, the, the, all the child role and stuff, I am so into. I, I really like it. I think it's an amazing poem for anyone who hasn't read it. I recommend that you do. And I thought the character of Roland was really good too. He really brought a lot of heart to the story. And he was a nice counterpoint to everything that was dark and was horrorish about the rest of the book. I thought Roland was just a phenomenal character and again sort of i know i raise it every time books do this but i thought it was really nice as well that Connolly had a dig at sort of representing some uh sort of lgbt kind of perspectives in this fantasy setting where that probably wouldn't have happened an awful lot before particularly drawing from traditional fairy tales and things where if you are fringe if you are other if you are beyond the mainstream you may as well perhaps not exist uh i I thought it was it was really nicely done and i liked i liked that take on roland and i liked i really liked that undercurrent of uh homophobia and of fear and of disgust that was present because it, it was more of those things that i I didn't like in David and there were there were inklings of that there there were those things about that there but ultimately uh, the the character of Roland and his friendship with Roland is the the prevailing the main thing and it was really nice it was a really beautiful relationship that they developed I think by the by the end of their experience so I liked it I don't rescind my my earlier thoughts or i I don't question younger me's tastes in in literature i I liked it again and i would probably add it to my 15 year list unlike (laughs) Florian. well i think that covers pretty much the entirety of our thoughts do you agree team i uh think so in that case keith you wanted to try something new this episode yes so we are a very entertaining bunch, but I thought maybe we could have a go at being more educational. And some may say we are already are, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, where are these? Who is this person? Incarcerated. <laughs> um, I've come up with this segment, which I've tentatively titled Tenuous Trivia. And in this segment, I will ask each of us, myself excluded, a singular question with a multiple choice answer. Option D will always give the person being questioned the ability to formulate their own answer. So I won't keep you guessing. First up, Brie. Oh, the 
The nerves. <laughs> the horror. <laughs> <laughs> to the French! <laughs> In the Book of Lost Things, we see John Connolly masterfully combine the traditional motif of numerous fairy tales with the darkest, most frightening corners of the human mind, playing on our fears and insecurities. Why is it then that Twilight is still a more frightening prospect for the average male reader? <laughs> a. Not enough kissing. B. Too much kissing. C. Just the right amount of kissing. Or D. Fill in the blank. D. Combine it with darkest part of the forest and you're probably halfway there. There was a lot of kissing in darkest part of the forest. <laughs> I'll move on to Pat. It's impossible to put an age range on a book and expect it to ring true for all people, as we've discussed quite heavily mm -hmm. tonight. As a four-year-old reading Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho, <laughs> <laughs> which of the following best describes your method of consumption? A. I read a chapter each day before bed. B. I read it in a few lengthy sessions. C. I read it in one night with a few stiff drinks. Or D. Fill in the blanks. Blank. <laughs> Well, it's almost C, but I was sitting up at night and entered a, a fugue state through the use of uh, opium, actually. Consumed <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire book in one sitting. Great answer. <laughs> I have to update the spoiler now and say, warning, this episode also contains suggestions of drug use. <laughs> I think we've ticked every single box. <laughs> and now Laurie. John Connolly's most popular and well-known character is his offbeat protagonist, Charlie Parker, a former police officer seeking vengeance for the murder of his wife and daughter. Brog the Stoop is neither popular nor well-known. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this so? A. Not enough kissing. B. Terror bull writing. C. It's a stupid pile of brog. <laughs> or D. Fill in the blank. <laughs> Uh, it's only $2 on Amazon.com. <laughs> Give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that adequately answers no, the question. Nicely so dodged. There you go. Sales pitch. <laughs> uh, no, clearly it's a stupid pile of bronze. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll move us right along now to our scoring for Book of Lost Things. Uh, this was difficult for me to do because there was such an ensemble of characters in this book and most of whom tended to be on the side of evil. So... I've given five options for our scoring tonight. This book was The Crooked Man, misleading and corrupting with an undercurrent of moral reprehensibility. <laughs> Jeez, that's a, that's a low one right there. <laughs> Leroy the Lou, trying desperately hard to be something that it isn't. Unnecessarily brutal and lacking humanity at the core, it was ultimately a failure. Georgie, helpless, blameless and in need of your defence. Was it Rose, at first an imposter that doesn't belong, but finally kind of winning you over before suddenly ending? <laughs> <laughs> For some. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a little bit too slanted towards my own view, but anyway. Uh, or was it David, bold, brave and amazing at most everything attempted? Well, what's the order? Who's first? Keith? Uh, let's hear it from Bree. Uh, look, I'm hovering between a Georgie and a Rose, and I think ultimately I'm going to have to go with a Rose because I don't feel that I need to defend this book strongly. I enjoyed reading it, despite the moments of sheer terror where I wanted to put it in the freezer. 
and it has intrigued me about some of his others and I will probably at least go and read his young adult novels. It's a rose. Cool. What about you, Laurie? I, I think it's definitely a David for me. I, I definitely give it a five. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the tone. I liked that made me squirm a little bit and I loved the the climax and resolution at the end. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Five stars. Pat? Uh, yeah, I agree. And it's probably no surprise given that I selected it and I've raved about it before. I, I also give it five stars. I give it a David with a, a side of Roland because it's that freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nice. Uh, for me, it's no surprise. It's a rose. It uh, it did win me over, and then it suddenly ended. <laughs> <laughs> You're a bit bitter about that ending, aren't you? I am, and it's not as perhaps not the fault of John Connolly, but it is a little bit because he's the one that populated that last twenty nine percent. So, well, Kindles weren't necessarily so much of a thing ten years ago. Maybe. Yeah, well, I don't know. True. I guess ha- by giving ha- us ha- more, he's given me a little bit less, unfortunately. Having said that, the I, I didn't read the appendices this time around, but I did read them back when I first read it, and he, uh, he includes full copies of all of the sort of source fairy tales, the original mm. Grimm's fairy tales, and a, a little bit of commentary from him on each of them. And it was actually a really good read uh, in, in my memory, having not read it again recently. I thought it was a really nice touch to include those and it gave you a little bit more insight into what the source material was. Yeah, I, I didn't I wasn't tempted too much to read some of the some of his post book notes, uh, but I did read the whole part on Child Roland to the Dark Tower came for obvious reasons and I liked that that was in there and I like that he includes all that because if you are someone that has really enjoyed this book then hearing his thought process on the um, transformations he made to these fairy tales is quite interesting but not interesting enough for me apparently (laughs) (laughs) he set a high bar well i'm glad you all liked it that's i'm I'm breathing a sigh of relief at the moment because i i really had no idea which way this was going to go bravo good choice thanks patrick thank you next episode Keith reads to us from his primary school diary in his autobiographical Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing <laughs> by Judy <coughs> Keith Rowe. That's a little unfair. <laughs> Thanks all for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please feel free to contact us on Twitter at Seeking Tumnus or on Gmail, seekingtumnus at gmail.com or on Facebook. Until then, if you're hearing voices emanating from the bookshelf, let their stories be told and keep reading. I'm still seeking For some, go for some alliteration. So, brilliant Brie, pontificating Patrick, and Keith. crap. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, crepe, was that a hope? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I can't, I didn't, I, uh, Keith, cretinous. Kurt, Kurt is difficult, I apologise. Uh, Get all the shots out. Uh, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
Keith. Cracker. Keith. Cracker over Keith. Courageous. Okay. Let's do it Courageous again. Courageous Keith.